following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. All right, well, let's get into the sermon then. So if you open up Mark 9, um, and we're going to be in those verses we are in today, but I want you to think about the last time you were in an argument about some trivia fact, and it didn't end, right? When was the last time you were in some kind of argument like that about something goofy, right? Something strange, you know, what actor was in this movie, or what was uh, the team this certain sports star was on at this point in time, or what year did Martin Van Buren do something? He was a president, by the way. But it's interesting as you think about that, because for me, it's been a minute. It used to not be that way. I remember at a point when you would get into some kind of discussion like that, sometimes those discussions would just, you'd kind of go, well, I don't know. And the reason was because you had to open up one of these bad boys an Encyclopedia Britannica. I remember still when I was in elementary school learning how to use the Encyclopedia Britannica. And so you'd get in a discussion and there was really one place to go to try and end it. And even then, they were finite. So you might have a question about something, but it just wasn't there. Or, you know, maybe your parents had hand-me-down encyclopedias so listen, you knew everything up to about 1975, right? So you'd have this way that you're like, well, we just don't know. Not anymore. Because now we live in the day and age of Google, where you can end any argument in a matter of seconds because you have a computer that, and I looked this up, the computer in your pocket could take at the same time 120 million Apollo rockets to the moon. And that's not like we're going to wait. Simultaneously, your smartphone could guide 120 million Apollo rockets to the moon. Yeah, see, you didn't realize what responsibility you had this morning in your pocket. Now you've got to live with that fact. But we have this computing power, and not only do we have these little chips in our pockets that now compute at speeds and rates that were unknown 50 years ago, that were unfathomable 100 years ago, but now we have a way to access information so quickly. Sometimes I wonder if I am meant as a human to have access to all that information. Because, you know, when you put something in, something's going out, right? So are you going to put something foolish in or not? It's amazing to me how quickly I can go, huh, I wonder about that. All I have to do is get on Wikipedia. And now I have an understanding about any topic I want. We live in a day and age where we can answer questions so quickly. We live in a day and age where that trivia, if you're at trivia night and you disagree with something and you think, I'm right, 
You can prove the person wrong if you are in fact right. You don't have to wait three days or till the next trivia night to be like, look, I brought my encyclopedia with me. You just pull it up on Google. But even though we have the answers to those questions, we still have those human questions that persist. You could hop on Google and ask, what is the meaning of life? And you'd probably get as many answers as Apollo rockets you could take to the moon. You could hop on Google and say, why is this happening to me? You'd probably get a bunch of mumbo-jumbo about why whatever is happening to you. We can ask any question we want at the speed of light and still the deepest questions in life are outside our grasp. The piece of scripture we read today, Jesus, this comes right after what we did last week on the Mount of Transfiguration. So he went up, they saw everyone transfigured, they said, let's stay here. Jesus says, we can't. They go back down, and this is what they find. So out of the twelve, three disciples were with Jesus. So nine were still down in the countryside. And what happens is they're in this village, and a father has come to them saying, my son is in need. There is a spirit who is attacking him, who is working against him. And the disciples are unable to help. And what I want to look at is some pieces of this as Jesus then comes and encounters this situation what we can see he is teaching and preaching in the midst of this, and also what it means for us. So if you've got scripture, let's open up um, Bibles, your app, whatever it is, Mark 9, and we're going to start here in verse 14. So verse 14 says, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd amongst them, and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, why are you gathering about with them? And someone from the crowd answered, teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. And he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out. And they were not able. So we see here Jesus still moving in amongst the countryside. He hasn't yet quite come into Jerusalem. But I love this idea, just this short piece here, because it shows something that people have understood about Jesus already. And that's that he cares about children. Here's this great teacher, this man that people are coming, crowds from all around are coming to meet him. And consistently, people are bringing their children to him. I want you to think about, you know, maybe a professor or a great speaker or, you know, someone like that. How often do you go, hey, I've bought tickets to hear this person speak. You know what? I want them to meet my kid. You can't tell me that's not like line up the babysitter now, right? But here is Jesus as he goes about teaching in the world, 
it is shown over and over again as he walks through the countryside that he is coming to people and they are bringing their children to him. Over and over and over again, they keep bringing their kids. Sometimes those who are in desperate need. We remember a couple Sundays ago we talked about the leader of the synagogue in Capernaum who goes to Jesus to say, come heal my daughter. But over and over again, children keep coming to Jesus to the point that in Mark 10, 15, when Jesus has brought children and people say, no, 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 you don't need to deal with kids. He says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. He says, let the little children come unto me for the kingdom is for such as these. It's easy for us in society, I don't think we always push kids to the edge, but it's easy for us to look at kids and go, you're not as important as an adult. I know I've had that issue before. But Jesus reminds us over and again, kids are important to me. Over and over and over again, he says this. And so here's this father, once again distraught, and he doesn't find Jesus, he just finds his disciples. And his disciples go, aha, we've seen the Lord do this. He sent us out at one point to go and do this, so we can handle this. Guess what? Spoiler alert, they couldn't handle it. So they try to help this father. They try to step in and see how they can help and walk alongside him to help his son, and they just can't do it. And Jesus looks at them and says, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. So here are his disciples who couldn't drive out this evil spirit who he had taught, who he had walked alongside. These were the guys. They were supposed to do this. And I went into commentaries because Jesus kind of says, oh, faithless generation, and you kind of got a couple audiences here. You're going, okay, is he talking to the scribes that we read about? Are these scribes the ones that he's looking at and going, oh, we're not sure, you know, uh, okay, is that the faithless generation? But over and over again, the commentaries look and say, no, He's looking at his disciples, and he's saying, faithless generation. And all I can think is, yikes. Right here are the men. These are the nine, right? They're missing their ringleaders, but these are the guys. That when Jesus called out 12 people to be closest to him, to learn from him, that down the road he's going to say, listen, you're going to take my message. And these nine couldn't handle it. And he looks at them and says, faithless generation. That's rough. You know, as a disciple, you've got to be sitting there going, what's going through their head? Because there's part of me that goes, Jesus, I walk everywhere with you. We haven't taken an Uber yet. Like, we just, well, we want to go there. Let's walk there. All right, let's not, let's calm down the faithless generation stuff. But Jesus looks at his own disciples and says, faithless generation. He's calling them to task. 
This isn't about him saying, this is the end. He's saying, you should know better. You should know. You've been with me. This is him on the boat a couple chapters ago when he says, did you not see how I took two loaves or five loaves and two fish? Did you not see what happened? These are the people who have been in proximity to every miracle. They couldn't take care of this. They couldn't help one father and a son. Then this happens. The father keeps explaining what's going on, and he says, it often casts him into fire and into water to destroy him. Could you imagine that as a parent? It often casts him into fire and water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Here's a father distraught at the end of the rope, and so he brings his son to this teacher who he's heard so much about. He says, if you can. And this is always an interesting exchange for me because I think of the mercy and the grace of Jesus and this father at his wit's end says, if you can. And Jesus responds, it's not quite negative, but it's, if I can? Well, anything's possible for him who believes. And that sets up something that worries me, right? Because... I look and I go, okay, well, if something bad is happening in my life, I'm praying about it, I'm working on it, and Jesus is, and I go, Lord, if you can handle this. And his response to me would be, if I can? Well, that doesn't seem great. Lord, I'm just trying to, I'm just, I'm understanding. I'm trying to be understanding here. Like, just, get, I'm, I'm trying to give you some wiggle room. Right, like, if you can handle it, great. If not, okay, that's fine too. And Jesus says, anything is possible for the one who believes. This one sentence of Scripture has been connected to other small pieces of Scripture and used to create such deep places of doubt and of sorrow. Because I've heard the stories, and I've been present when something goes wrong, and someone says, if you had a little more faith, that wouldn't have happened. If you just believed a little harder, then everything would be okay. I've seen it used in some very dark ways where people look and they say that, and you look and you go, how do you think that's helpful? How at all do you look at this situation that someone else is walking through, and you think, listen, I, all you got to do is believe a little more and you'll be fine. That's it. Well, you know what denies that idea? The Bible. The book of Scripture looks at that phrase and says, if you just believed a little more, and it looks and it says, that's not true at all. Paul will write and he says, no one is righteous, not even one. 
So if no one is righteous, then we can't gain more righteousness by believing harder. By trying to build this bank vault of faith that says if something goes wrong, then I just dip into that bank vault and go, listen, luckily I had enough faith that my debts to the bank were canceled. Listen, luckily I had enough faith that when this issue came up at work, Jesus just solved it for me. Listen, I had enough faith that when I wanted money, I told the Lord and he gave me money. I had enough faith that when my child got sick, they got healed. And all of those are wrong. Look at John the Baptist. The words of Jesus. No one greater is born of woman than John the Baptist. Except for him, but he he knew. And he looks and he says, John the Baptist is the greatest. You know what happened to John the Baptist? A young woman did a risque dance for King Herod, and he said, you can have anything up to half my kingdom. Must have been a pretty good dance. And what does she say? I want the head of John the Baptist. Do you know that when Jesus sends his disciples to John the Baptist to share with him, to greet him, they use this benediction from the book of Isaiah and they share all these things and he's in prison, John the Baptist is, and they go through it and Jesus leaves off and the prisoners shall go free. John the Baptist has followed God in everything he's done and he has his head taken off. You can't tell me that John the Baptist didn't have enough faith to take care of that situation. When Jesus says, anything is possible for one who believes, he's pointing backwards to what's just happened. He looks and he says, anything is possible to one who believes. Why couldn't the disciples drive out this spirit. Jesus will answer this only this one comes out only by prayer. But when he says faithless generation, what's he connecting? Well, the disciples were struggling with a faith issue. When the Father says, if you can, and Jesus says, if I can. You see, the issues here are not with a person having enough faith, not with a person trying to grow their faith. It's that they are looking to the wrong place to fulfill their faith. They are looking and they're saying, I just have to have a little more faith. If I can just focus a little more, if I just read my Bible a little more, if I just follow Jesus a little better. But here in this moment, when Jesus looks at the Father and he says, if I can't, anything is possible for him who believes. In this moment in Scripture, in terms of humans to emulate, right? We always want to emulate Jesus. But there are characters in Scripture we want to emulate too. Sometimes we get them mixed up. You know, we, we like the big stories. We like Moses. We like David. Take a little read about Moses and David. Lord loved them. They did his things, but not really someone you want to emulate. But here in this moment, this is the response of the Father. Immediately, the 
father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. That is the response. He looks and he says, listen, I believe, I want to believe more. Help my unbelief. You see, it's easy for us that when we feel like we're losing grip with God, when we don't have enough faith, we look and we say, what can I do? How do I take care of my faith? How do I grow in faith? What are the things God wants me to do to be able to have a better faith? You know what? He wants you to say, I can't help me. Jesus was always going to have compassion on this child. He wasn't waiting for some magic words from the Father. He wanted that response from the Father to show everyone else the problem was not with this Father, it was not with the Son. It was that people were looking and wondering, could Jesus do it? And he looks and he says, listen, you faithless generation, the faithlessness of the generation of these disciples, these are men that God is going to use. You mean they had no faith? No, they were looking, and they said, we want to do this, and they forgot that Jesus is the one who makes it happen. This father is hedging his bets, going, listen, if you can, that's great. If not, you know, he's trying to ingratiate himself, and Jesus is going, listen, I've got the power. You don't need to fear walking up to me and requesting things out of my power because I have it. So he says, help my unbelief. You know what Jesus does? He heals his son. Do you imagine what that did for his unbelief? When we go to the Lord, when we're struggling with these big questions, the questions Google can't answer, A lot of times we want the answer right away. We want to know right now. And we want it to happen the way we want it to happen. I would argue and I would say, I think more often than not we need to pray, Lord, help my unbelief. Lord, take those things from me that steal my faith, that turn my eyes from you, Help my unbelief. Because here's the thing, what happens when God starts proving to us our belief? Do you know what it does? It strengthens our faith. When we start praying, Lord, help my unbelief, He's going to show up. It's not always how we plan or how we want or in the time frame we'd hoped for but he shows up and proves himself time and time again. You know what's interesting? So when we pray, Lord, help my unbelief, and it takes that faithlessness out of us because we remember our faith is not in what we can do, but what Jesus has done for us. You know what it gives us? Faith like a child. Faith that looks and says, Lord, I don't always understand it, but still I trust you. 
faith of a child who looks at a parent and says, I don't always get it, but I know you're watching out for me. Fascinating how that happens. That we see the love that Jesus has for children. That he looks at the faithfulness, faithlessness of his disciples, and then he hears this father say, help my unbelief. Then it almost works backwards how he proves all those things. There will be questions, but the answers will be hard to find. I wish as a pastor I could stand up here and if you had any question about faith, I could rattle it off and give it to you. But there will be questions that you don't know the answers to. Some you may not know this side of heaven. But I think it's beneficial for us to take the tact of this Father when we run into those questions, when we run into these places where we're at our wit's end, where we've tried everything else, and we go to the Lord, and we say, if you can. And he responds, what do you mean, if I can? You seen a dolphin lately? If I can. You seen the Rocky Mountains? If I can. He's not being rude. He's going, of course I can. What do you mean, if I can? I've got you. You are my child. You have access to me. If I can. So when you come up against those places where you're at your wit's end, don't pray if I can. Pray, Lord, help my unbelief. When you're struggling in relationships and there's hurt and there's heartache and you don't know what to do, pray, Lord, help my unbelief. When you run up against the ugly side of sin in this world, Lord, help my unbelief. When you run into fears and doubts and anxieties, Lord, help my unbelief. Because that simple prayer, help my unbelief, is God going, I can and I am. Let me show you and help your unbelief. Let's pray. Lord, let us emulate this Father. In our lives, there are so many struggles, there are so many things going on, so many things that are trying. So let us look and say, help my unbelief. Lord, we bring to you those things on our hearts those struggles, those temptations, those issues, the heartache. And we say, Lord, help our unbelief. In your son Jesus' name, amen.